Welcome to Small Business Big Challenge, the podcast that gives you the right tools, the knowledge, and the confidence to start and grow your small business. Because what stands between you and your most ambitious dreams has less to do with having a genius idea and far more about how you approach problems, make decisions to solve them, and have the courage to implement them. So without further ado, from the beautiful village of Cuba, New York, your host, Lionel Legree. information in this podcast is provided for general informational purpose only. It does not constitute professional advice or services. Listeners should seek the appropriate legal or other professional advice on their particular facts and circumstances. We disclaim any and all liability or responsibility for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. This podcast is for private non-commercial use, and our guests do not necessarily reflect any agency or organization or company that they work for. My guest today is Jeremy Streeton. Jeremy is the founder and chief executive officer at Business Legal Lifecycle. He's also the author of the book of the same name, which includes an Australian, a UK, and US version. He's based in Brisbane, Australia, where he lives with his wife and two children. Well, Jeremy, thank you for being on the show today. And I know it's 5 a.m. in Australia, so I really appreciate you waking up so early for us today. Thanks, Lionel. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm an early riser anyway. I normally get up at four. So um, get, this, this, this time is no problem for me. Well, thank you. And I, I don't, so I really appreciate that effort. <laughs> Jeremy, my first question is about your career and specifically about the transition from your job in a law firm to owning your own business, where you switch from selling your time, which is limited, to selling a service. How did you make this transition? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an interesting uh, transition to make as a lawyer because before I started my my law firm, I worked for about nine years in another law firm. In a yeah, as you do, like learning learning the ropes, and yeah. it was all time based. And uh, what I've I've found it a really frustrating process because people wouldn't uh, call you as much, they wouldn't get your advice as much because they were worried about being on the clock. And you used to have people who would ring you and say. Oh, it's the clock on now, and am, am I being charged? And so I found that a really frustrating process. So, well, it was actually early on when I started my own law firm that we actually transitioned out of time uh, billing and into fixed fees in the law firm itself uh, before I even started the, the business legal lifecycle business. So, I think that's a smart move, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and what we found was that it just it, it made the advice better. It made working with the clients better uh, because. They, you know, they didn't think that they were on the clock or we were on the clock and we were able to help them out more. So that was a really easy transition to make uh, and something that uh, what, what was easy in hindsight at the time, it was scary because you had to uh, determine uh, you know, how, we, how are we going to bill people. But then I realized that even when I was as an employed lawyer, I was really charging fixed fees at the time anyway because you were working out what it would cost and then the time just was always that amount. And what I realized was that one of the, the big fallacies and problems with time billing is the fact that uh, you, you know how much time it's going to take you to do most things. So why not just charge a fixed fee and make everyone comfortable with it? And so that, that was an easier transition to law firm. And we still do that today. I don't work in the law firm, but the, the law firm still does that. And then... Tr- then transitioning to, to produce the business legal life cycle and the related products really became quite easy because I was charging for a fixed fee 
uh, that would actually help people rather than trying to work out a time-based cost for it all. Uh, yeah, it was it, it it became a natural transition, and and it, I wouldn't say it was easy to make that transition in the beginning. I read lots of books and uh, and but then when I realized that fact that I was really charging time um, fixed fee based on my time previously. I, it just became a natural progression, and now now I actually talk about Lionel the fact that when, when I when I coach lawyers and I help lawyers make that transition, that it actually shows the client that you know what you're talking about, because if you have experience in handling a matter, then you know generally what it will what 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 it will cost and what a, what a fair fee for that is. So it's amazing how you how you make that switch and and it becomes a much easier transition. So Jeremy, we were talking before the show. You told me that you hired this uh, business coach to help you in your law firm, and it was this business coach that helped you transition. Can you tell me why you decided to hire this coach, and what did you get out of this relationship? Yeah, so I, I'm still with, 10 years later, I'm still with the same business coach. Basically, the, the reason was that my business partner and I, we started our law firm because, you know, we, it's the old story. We knew that we could run the, the business better than our previous bosses. And I say that sarcastically. <laughs> People can't tell. Uh, and it, it quickly became apparent that we couldn't do that and we needed help. Uh, yeah, we were great lawyers. We were really good at helping people. My expertise was business law. So I went in thinking, oh, I can do this. How hard can it be? Yeah. I really, I really respect my previous um, employers, uh, and we're still we're still mates today. But I just figured I could just do it. How hard could it be? And when I realised that I couldn't, we went searching for someone that we could have a relationship with. And this gentleman, his name's David Dugan. He he runs a business called Abundance Global now. We saw him at events. We saw him talk. We saw him talk about business, and we built a relationship with him and got to know him first and then decided to then go down that journey with him. And, yeah, it's worked out really well uh, to have someone to, to bounce ideas off, to give us a, a direction of where we want to go. So much so, Lionel, and we didn't talk about this, but I actually now work with him in his business. So one of the, one of the consulting roles that I have is actually with his business and helping coach businesses as well. That, um, we, and, and that's the strength of the, the relationship that we've built over the years. Well, that's a great story. Uh, in, in the U.S., Jeremy, the, the bar exam is only valid for a specific state, and that usually filters the number of customers you can help. What was your thought process behind expanding your market and creating three versions of your book, the Australian, the U.K., and the U.S. version? Mm. Um, it, it started with a frustration that I had with the legal profession being reactive and not proactive in Australia. And uh, my coach, uh, just a little story there, my coach said to me when we first met or a few months after we first met that one day you'll write a book. And I laughed at him and said, what book would a, would a lawyer write? And um, then I, when I developed the life cycle, I realized that then I had a book. Really, the change happened, Lionel, when um, my sister lives in London in the UK and my wife was going over there to talk at a conference. And it was a conference about the, the very interesting topic of uh executory contracts in insolvency. I'm being sarcastic again. Um, and, uh, and she was going over, she, she was going over to present a paper about that, that law. And I went, one, to visit my sister, but two, to, to go along and support my wife because she's an academic now. She was, was a practicing lawyer as well. And I sat there in the conference and when I heard people from 
all all over the world, from India, from France, uh, from you know other um, Western European countries, from African countries. I realized that the law is very similar in, in in all the different countries. It's just the application of the law that's different. So when you have you know, bar associations in in the US, you know, requiring people to be registered to practice in that state, or even in Australia, you, you've got to be registered in your state. And then you've got to make sure that that goes into the other states over there. That's because it's the practical implementation of the law. What what my service does, what my book goes through and what our other tools do is it gives you a high level understanding of the law so that you can go and then work with the lawyer to do it. So uh, what inspired me was going to that conference and realizing that the law is actually pretty similar. So we can help people across the world to see the different legal legal avenues to then educate themselves so that when they go and work with their lawyer, they can uh, have that knowledge and an understanding of what they're doing so that um, they can go and implement it with the lawyer registered in each country or state or, wh- or whatever it is around the world. So do you think that most attorneys practice reactive law because of financial gain? I think it's just the way that the profession's gone uh, and because because people don't like going to see their lawyer because, you know, and there's various reasons why they don't. You know, some, t- some people feel that lawyers talk down to them. Some people hate the, the idea of the costs, the time-based uh, reasons. There's, there's a multitude of reasons. And I think that because people don't come to lawyers to stop problems from occurring before they arise, that's just the way the profession's gone. And it ends up being... It, it does end up being more that the lawyer can charge short term in the fixing a problem once it, once it arises, but long term then they suffer. So I, I think it's I don't think it's a conscious choice, Lionel. I don't think that lawyers sat down and went, we're just going to um, we're not going to try and prevent problems. I think it was it's just the way that the profession has evolved over the years. And one of my goals is to change that and to to make it a much more proactive uh, profession and actually help people before the problem arises. This problem is very similar to the healthcare issues. When people don't go see the doctor because they're afraid of the cost and end up having more severe problems that will end up costing them even more. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, it's like insurance. You, you pay for insurance. Well, that, that's what uh, legal advice is. You know, if you do it in a proactive way, it's an insurance policy. Exactly. And you may never see the benefit of it, right? And that's one of the hardest parts to, to, yeah. to, to get across to people. You, you don't know that by taking this step, you'll prevent yourself from being sued or from having a, a legal fight that's going to cost you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars because you never you never see that problem. But you know, in the book and in the in when I appear on podcasts when we talk about this, I show examples of where people thought that they were fine or you know, that, they, that they didn't need legal advice, and it did, and it cost them in some cases. You know, thousands of dollars in some cases, tens of thousands of dollars, and and in other cases, like millions of dollars. And it's really sad that we can actually prevent these problems. Yeah, um, I'll I'll give one of my so there were, t- there were two legal matters that I, I handled that kind of really frustrated me so much that I ha- that I developed the life cycle. So uh, one of those was a client. He came and saw me before Christmas one year. And he'd been served with an application. He'd had a dispute with a business partner. And I won't go into all the nitty gritty of it, but he, he, he basically he had he'd tried to get the business partner out of this, this company that they had established. And he'd done it all completely incorrectly. And 
the reason he he had done it incorrectly was because he didn't go and get advice. He just thought he'd do it himself, and he didn't go and get legal advice because he thought it would cost too much. He didn't he didn't know anything. He he would had been an old client of mine from about six years ago, and he came to me, you know, you know, asking how does he solve this problem, and because he didn't get legal advice on how to do that, and because he and his business partner never actually established their entity properly, got all their agreements in place. The company folded and they lost over a million dollars of other people's money just because they had never sat down and talked about what they were trying to do and they'd never documented a shareholders agreement to, to set out the goals of, of the company. And that that was a it was a, a moment for me, Lionel, when I went, this something's got to change. Something we, we need to change the way that people deal with with law because if these guys had just sat down with a lawyer and mapped out what they were trying to do. They probably would have never gone into business together. <laughs> Honestly, they probably would have never gone into business together. And they, or if they did, they would have documented their agreement and they would have known when they were, where they were going. Yeah, there's lots of other cases as well I can, I can give you, but that, that was one of the big ones for me that just went, no, no, we've got to change this. So that explains why you wrote the book and trying to change the mindset from practicing reactive law to practicing proactive law. But is your book targeted for attorneys or is it targeting business owners? Definitely for business owners as, as the clients. Uh, it's written so that so that they can understand the law, they can understand what, what are the legal risks that are in their business and really empowers them to go and work with their lawyer to, to reduce those risks. Uh, what I find is that people go, I'll just leave that to my lawyer or, or I'll just rely on my lawyer to do that. But the problem with that there are lots of unknown unknowns. There's lots of things that as the lawyer, I don't know about your business. And there's lots of things that as the business owner, you don't know that the lawyer knows. And so we're trying to uh, uh, bridge that gap so that people can go to their lawyer and say, this is my problem. I know this is a problem. Help me fix it. Or I think this might be a problem. This is what I understand about it. Is, it, is there something that we need to do? So it's really a tool to help business owners to understand what they're doing and then let them work with their lawyer to uh, you know, prevent those risks from occurring in their business. And that's indeed a recurring theme in our show, the minimum knowledge you need to have to be able to talk to the experts that need to support your company. You definitely cannot learn everything about accounting, about taxes, about marketing, about uh, HR, IT. So you need to surround yourself with experts but you need to be able to speak their language. And you also need to know when to raise an issue with them. Mm, absolutely. And the excuse of, oh, I'll just rely on the professional just doesn't fly. You know, at the end of the day, if you're a business owner, the, the buck stops with you. You've got to understand all this stuff. And yep. yeah, so I, it's something that that I'm very passionate about, as you can tell, Lionel. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I love getting on podcasts and talking um, about this, because yeah, the more people that hear that message, the more that we can we can help them. Can you tell us of other big ideas you have in this book? Uh, the, the big ideas uh, yeah, go through basically building up your business so that you reduce your legal risks. And at some point, everyone who's in business will e exit their business. <laughs> it's like at some point, everyone will exit their business. So uh, yeah, it, it all builds to a crescendo of having the business in a place where it can be sold. So one of the, the statistics that I find really um, shocking is that when someone decides that they want to sell their business, Lionel, they're generally two years away from having it in a way that can be sold. 
And the problem with that is, well, one, is that most people sell their business when they're frustrated <laughs> with their business or that they get sick or that they, or, or there's some other reason that makes them want to do it suddenly. So one of the other big themes in the book is not only reduce our legal risk, but in doing so, we're building our business to be a saleable asset so that when we get to that point, we reduce that time that we have to spend getting the business ready for sale. And at the end of the day, you get more money <laughs> because, because if you, you know, if you need to exit, you, you'll have a better return on your investment of the business that you've built. And that's a, that's a message that, that a lot of people don't, don't like to hear, but you will at some point exit your business. There is no, there's no two ways about it. So you want to have that ready. So the theme that probably the major theme in the book is, is also is around that and, and setting yourself up for, for a, a profitable exit of your business. Nice. And obviously we don't have the time today to go over all the legal aspect of your book, but if we concentrate on asset protection, because we did an episode on asset protection recently, mm-hmm. what are the different uh, aspects of legal asset protection? Yeah, and we were having a quick chat about this before the show. Uh, and it, the first the first most important thing that most people miss is thinking about what's the end? What, what are you trying to achieve with this? Now, um, there's... Uh, most people will be familiar with Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And in mm-hmm. Habit 2, I think it is, he he says, start with the end in mind. I take a, diff- a slightly different stance on that here. And I talk about starting up with an end in mind. And why, why I say that is that most people, when they start their business, don't really know where they want to go. If you had told me 10 years ago when I started my law firm that I'd be recording podcasts and, and flying around the world and, and, and building an international business, I would have laughed at you. But what you want to know is, is have some goal, have some idea about where you're heading so that because that, that will really uh, inform the type of structure that is, is right for you. Whether you're in the US, the UK, Australia or, or anywhere else in the world, there are a multitude of different structures that you can use to set up your business. And the very first question you've got to ask yourself is, what am I trying to achieve? If I'm you know, going to sell my business in, you know, build up a business to sell it in two years or list it in the stock exchange in five or six years, uh, is a very different structure to one that you're going to trade for the next 20 years as yourself. So start with that end and know that that will change. And that's okay. It definitely will change. So, so that, that informs the structure to best protect your assets. And the other, the other aspect of that too, Lionel, that, that I would, um, definitely ask everyone to do is go and talk to your advisors, whether it be your lawyer, your accountant, your financial advisors, whoever it is. Talk to them about asset protection. One of the other, uh, well, the other matter that I had that really frustrated me to, to write the life cycle book and, and come up with the concept. This gentleman uh, had he ran a business for about fifteen years. He had built a really great business, and he had invested all of his profits in property. He'd bought, he'd bought property he'd, he'd, and he built it up over $2 million worth of assets in, in, um, in property that was mortgage-free. And then he got sued personally for misrepresentation and lost really badly and, and, and had judgment against him for about $700,000. And because his assets were in his own name, he had to pay that debt. Now, I mean, he should pay that debt anyway, but asset protection would say that you need to have your, your key assets and where your money goes in, in areas that actually protect yourself. And one of the biggest problems there, Lionel, is that people 
don't go and get professional advice when they buy property, when they set up their business. They just do it based on what they think is right or what uh, they heard at a, we call it in Australia, barbecue advice. Um, you know, you're at a barbecue with friends and the friend says, oh, I just set up this or I bought this this way. You should do the same thing. Very well-intentioned advice, but it misses the, the nuances of what actually might apply for you in your circumstances. So what, what I always say to people is you, you need to uh, you know what that, that goal is and then get the advice about what structure is right for you and that might be different because, you know, like, you know, I own my own house with my wife. That's a different structure to someone who might own that in a separate entity. So make sure that you do those two, two things. Think about what you're trying to achieve and then get advice based on what your current position is and how best to protect yourself for the future. And when you talk about starting, you know, your business with the end in mind, mm-hmm. I think... People don't because it sounds like the only way to end a company is by failure, which is far from being the truth. And it's like, you know, starting a marriage, thinking of the end, I know, in mind. And I'm sure a lot of attorneys are going to tell you it's a good idea to think that way, too. So, like, what would be the mindset and what are the legal tools that you can use to prepare and have this end of the company in mind? Uh, if you've got shareholders or like other investors in the business, uh, you want to have an agreement with them about what happens at the end uh, and what happens if you have a fight and, and you don't want to work together anymore. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also want to think about your estate planning as well. So if something happens to you, what what happens there? So it's really thinking about you know, under and, and under what circumstances you might want to sell the business just in, in, in general terms. So really mapping that out will, will, will inform you about what structures and what information you need to have in place. Another way to protect your assets is to avoid legal actions. Do you have any recommendations you can share? Uh, so you know, to avoid litigation, you know, th- there's many different ways to do that. Uh, one, one of the, the best ways is to is judgment-proof to- yourself as best as you can. So um, we talked about this previously around having a separate entity that owns your, your intellectual property. So you want to you want to make sure that what you have in place for your um, for your business protects as much of your valuable assets as you can. So have that owned by some another entity, uh, and that can really avoid you, know, you being sued or you being worried about being sued by having that that protection in place. So you have a what we call an asset holding entity that owns owns the the IP or the the main things in the business, and then it allows the trading entity to use that that structure. Uh, or use that that information to protect it in case that entity gets sued, the trading entity gets sued, then you can still own the, the intellectual property. That's a complicated structure. And you know, at the risk of not giving barbecue advice, <laughs> um, I would say to anyone who's interested in, the, in that, make sure that you talk to your lawyer uh, to make sure that structure is set up properly for you. But it's a, a great way of protecting your your, um, your your true business assets in case you get sued down the track. Another advice that many lawyers are going to give you is to separate the operating of the company from the asset of your company into different legal structures. Would the company with the, the physical assets would be the same way you would put the intellectual property? Um, you, you only need to have two entities. So you have one that, that's a trading entity, one that, so it's the one that trades the business, and then another one that actually owns the intellectual property. 
So, and, and any other assets that you've got. So you really just want to separate those because when you're trading in business, so say my law firm, my law firm trades its business. If it gets sued or, you know, something bad happens to it and, and it, and it starts to fail, that entity would then get, um, could be dissolved and you, but you still own your intellectual property so you can use that in another business. So, uh, but again, that's something that you need to make sure it works for you and it's all documented properly because, uh, yeah, people try and, people try and get around that themselves and it, it becomes a disaster, but you can definitely do it properly and, and protect your, your IP very well that way. Talking about IP and asset protection, many people forget to put a confidentiality clause in their employment agreement. What else do people often forget to put in their employment agreement? Uh, so as far, as far as protecting your intellectual property, the confidentiality is is probably the main one. Uh, you can have non-compete clauses in there as well to stop them from uh, you know, competing with you. They're very difficult to enforce. I heard uh, yeah. that, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and the reason for that is, yeah, it makes sense. People need to earn a living, right? Yeah. Um, but, but what I say is that a properly drafted agreement if it, the protection that you should be looking for is to protect that per, that employee from taking your clients. Now, I know in some industries, I know in the US, for instance, uh, most bar associations actually say that you can't stop a lawyer from taking the work uh, and starting another business. And I know that there's there's different rules around different places, but if you can, that would be the main source of protection that I would put in place is, you know, as, as a team member, your team gets access to your clients so, uh, and that's a trust that you've got. So you, you definitely want to have that. Uh, but the main one is the, is the non-disclosure, the confidentiality. You don't want them being able to take your IP and go and using it somewhere else. Uh, knowing that, that too, that it's very hard to protect an idea, an idea that's in your head. Um, in fact, it's all, it's basically impossible unless it's a, a patentable idea. Uh, it, and, you know, know that you can have that in place and, and you can use that as a scare tactic, uh, but you know, you're not going to spend thousands of dollars with a lawyer trying to protect something that probably can't be protected. Yeah, and, and talking about intellectual property, a lot of people don't register their trademark because it takes time and it's expensive. What would be your recommendation on when it makes the most sense to register your trademarks? Yeah. So, um, great question, Lionel. And the standard legal advice is to do it at the beginning, like when you start your business. What I've found, though, is that that's impractical. Uh, and it's impractical because of the cost and also because people change their name or their logo or where they're going. And the amount of people that I've had, you know, especially before I came up with the concept of the life cycle, who spent money protecting their trademark at the beginning and then two years later go, oh, actually, I want to change it now and then have to spend all that money again is really, really, um, it's really sad, actually, that they spend all that money. So I actually made the, and looked at the successful businesses and made protecting your trademark phase five of the life cycle. And it's very deliberately in phase five because it's after, so phase one is when you conceive of the idea. Phase two is starting up your business. Phase three is getting some initial clients. And then phase four is getting a team. And what I found when I when I researched the the five thousand odd companies that I had worked with over the years was that the ones that waited until they had a viable business, waited till they had something that they actually needed to protect, and did it in that phase five area. Um, 
they were the best ones to do it. So waiting a couple of years to make sure that that was the business that they wanted to go forward in. Because a trademark just gives you ownership over a logo or a name or, or something like that. And most of the time, you don't really need to protect that early on in business. Once you start, again, having something that's starting to be a saleable business, sure, 100% want to protect that, right? Uh, you, you, you definitely want to do that. But you, when you're early on in business, that's not necessary. So that's why we've moved it to phase five. And we've said, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's probably the, the main part that people go, oh, I'm not sure about that, like other lawyers say about, about the life cycle. Uh, but when they hear that logic, they, they see the point that we're trying to make is that that's the time to start protecting your IP. So wait till you've got a viable business. Wait, wait till you've got some, some team members and that you've got something that's starting to be worth protecting and then go and, and um, protect your trademark. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the, if you have no customers, your branding means nothing. It has no value. But once exactly. you have tens of thousands of customers, then your branding means something, especially if you want to try to sell or make a franchise out of your company. And remember that, that too, just because you don't have a registered trademark doesn't mean that someone can stop you from trading in that name or take that name. Uh, there are, there are laws that, you know, that if you go and, uh, you know, take the name and it's not registered, that person can still trade that business if, if they were already trading it and they can, you know, stop someone from going registering that. It's not always, um, yeah, one of my favorite movies is Coming to America, uh, the Eddie Murphy <laughs> movie from, from, um, back in the eighties, I think it was. And you had, um, McDowell's, I think it was and McDonald's, uh, you know, you, that, that, that wouldn't work in the real world right. because McDonald's is such a behemoth. But if it was like a small restaurant or a small business, then, it probably wouldn't matter because it's not it's it's not going to interfere with the, the trademark of the other business. So you just got to be very very careful not to waste money protecting something that doesn't need to be protected. And again, get advice on your particular circumstances because it will change depending on the on the nuances. And the other thing that people usually forget when they talk about asset protection, and we we touched base on that already is the business succession. Can you give us some tips on what to properly prepare? Yeah, and, and this comes back to um, you know, really thinking about what your goal is. Uh, you know, is, is it to, to trade a business for the next 20 years or is it to sell, to sell um, early on? Uh, business succession becomes very, very important, especially if you're going to trade a, a longer-term business because uh, you never know what might happen. You know, with all the, all the nonsense in the world at the moment, <laughs> if we call it that, um, you know, it's, it, you, you never know what could happen. And so you know, what you want to be thinking about is if you go, how will your family be protected? You know, I have a, I'm married. I have uh, two small children. You know, I want to make sure that if something happens to me that they're protected from an income point of view. So you know, you need to think about what insurance you have in place, uh, especially if you have business partners. You know, like um, my wife is a is is a former lawyer, uh, but and my business partner gets on well with her, but he does not want her in the business if something happens to me. So you want yeah, you know, and that's just because they they wouldn't work well together, and vice versa. I wouldn't want to work with his wife, and so what you want to do is you want to make sure that if something happened to me that he could get the business, but my family's protected at the same time. So you can have agreements in place with insurances that, that pay out, um, you know, there's whole functionalities and agreements you can have in place for that. So you need to think about what's going to happen. And, and this is true for all the succession, Lionel, is uh, for, you know, if something happens to you, what will happen to your family and what will, what, you know, what, 
what will happen with the business and the family to make sure that they are protected going forward. So really think about that going going forward and also think about what debts do you have? You know, um, th- th- that insurance can often be a good thing to pay off debts if something happened to you so that your family can be set up and protected going forward. Uh, and there's lots of lots of different nuances that you can do there, but th- those are the main ones that we see work for, for business owners. And as a business owner with other partners, how would you protect yourself against a lawsuit against one of the partners? Uh, so this this comes down to structuring. Uh, you know, depending on the the entity that you have, uh, if you if you're set up correctly, it should have no effect on you whatsoever, other than if something happened to to one of the other business partners. If you're a partner, then what I would say is uh, like a, a true partner with them, uh, not in a separate entity. You'd want to have an agreement in place that if some, if they went bankrupt or if they got into legal trouble, that that you could buy them out for a, a fixed amount or, or something like that. So you want to you you want to put that in the initial agreement that you have between the between them to protect um, protect all the parties. Right. Once again, it's starting with the having the end in mind. Yeah, and that's something that obviously most people clearly wouldn't want to happen, but know that that does happen and that can happen. And another situation is divorce. You know, what happens if one of the partners gets divorced? In mm-hmm. Australia, uh, I know the law is, you know, it's, you can't really do anything. <laughs> you know, like you, you can't really protect that in any way. If, if you know, it's, it, the, the laws are very, very broad and, and it's very true in, in America as well and, and the UK. Uh, but it's something to think about how, what happens if there's a divorce? Uh, what happens with the business? Because, uh, you don't want that to happen and you don't think it's going to happen, but it may, and so you want to protect everyone uh, as best you can. So, Jeremy, after a Australian book, the uh, UK version, the US version, what's going to be your next project? What other language or what other book? I actually, Lionel, have written the South African version, uh, <laughs> and I was I was actually heading to South Africa in March 2020, and then my plane flights got cancelled as the world shut down. So... Uh, Sometime either this later this year or early next year, I'll, I hope to get over there. And because um, I, I partner with Lionel with lawyers in the different countries mm-hmm. to to do that, and so uh, yeah, we have a. Whilst we could probably do it online, I, I I do have a desire to meet them in person and and just finalize everything in in person because I think that that's better. So I'll um I'll be doing that next, and then I, I haven't decided on the next country yet. <laughs> I do want to I do want to get into some um, non English speaking countries as well, but. We need the French India. version soon. Yeah, the French version soon. Yes, uh, I, I think I, I think a, a natural one is India as well, um, because India is uh, yeah, the law is based on based on, on the, the British law. law. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're and, and they're mostly English speaking as well. So I think that would be a, a another project. That would be a huge project, but something that I want to get my teeth into as well. Very interesting. If our listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they do so? Uh, so uh, we're all on all the social medias, but uh, as a thank you for having me on the show, uh, we've put together a, a, a landing page. If people go to businesslegallifecycle.com slash SBBC for Small Business Big Challenge, uh, we will um, have a, a, a page dedicated to them. There's lots of free resources on there. Uh, I mentioned before that we have a, a risk assessment tool. Basically, it takes about 10 minutes. You answer about 30 questions and it basically finds the legal risks in your business. So it identifies where you are in the life cycle. It uh, tells you what you've, what you've missed, what you need to put in place, and then helps you plan for the future. 
Normally, we charge $97 for that, uh, but as a thank you for having having me on, on the show, we give a 50% discount on that for any listeners, and there's instructions on how to take um, advantage of that offer when the listeners go to that page. So businesslegallifecycle.com slash SBBC. Well, thank you, Jeremy, and we'll put that in the notes too. And what's the best way to get your book? Through the same link? Um, you can go to that that page or on Amazon, uh, you know, depending on where you are in the world. Just make sure you get the right version. Uh, they are clearly labeled on Amazon <laughs> for the different versions. Uh, but the website also has uh, links and you can buy the book on there uh, as well. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for this precious, precious information. It was fun having you on the show. And thanks again for waking up so early today. Thanks so much for having me, Lionel. It was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for listening to the show today. If you like this episode, head to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Leave a rating and a comment while you're there. It really helps new listeners to find the show. You can also join us at smallbusinessbigchallenge.com for more content or to leave a message with your ideas and what you'd like to hear next. If you are starting, running, or supporting a small business, this is your show. So be our next guest and share your story. For more information, go to smallbusinessbigchallenge.com.